Baruch Hashem. Parsha Yitro is an amazing parasha, and today we are reading from the Megillah and studying the Megillah, chapter 4, the Megillah Esther, and it relates directly, not surprisingly, to our parasha that we've been studying this week. Let's say our bracha for Torah learning, and then we will say the bracha for the Megillah, and then we will read the Megillah, Baruch Hashem, just like that. Blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of your Torah. Please, Hashem, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and the mouth of your people, the house of Israel. And may we and our offspring and our offspring's offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name, study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Amen. The blessing and the reading of the Megillah. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kidshanu b'mitzvah v'tzivanu al-mikra Megillah. The fourth chapter of the, of the book of Esther, the Megillah of Esther. <coughs> Mordecai learned of all that had been done, and Mordecai tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. He went out into the midst of the city and cried aloud and bitterly. He came in, unto the front of the king's gate, for it was forbidden to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. In every province, wherever the king's command and his decrees extended, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting and weeping and wailing, most of them lying in sackcloth and ashes. And Esther's maids and chamberlains came and told her about it. And the queen was greatly distressed, and she sent garments to clothe Mordecai so he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hatach, one of the king's chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend her, and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what, what this was about and why. So Hatak went out to Mordecai unto the city square, which was in front of the king's gate, and Mordecai told him of all that had happened to him and about all the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the royal treasury for the annihilation of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the decree, which was dis distributed in Shushan for their destruction so that he might show it to Esther and inform her, bidding her to go to the king to appeal to him and to plead with him for her people. Hatak came and told Esther what Mordecai said. Then Esther told Hatak to return to Mordecai with this message. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's providence are well aware that if anyone, man or woman, approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, there is but one law for him that he should be put to death, except for the person to whom the king shall extend the gold scepter so that he may live. Now I have not been summoned to come to the king for these past 30 days. They related Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai said to reply to Esther, Do not imagine that you will be able to escape the king's palace any more than the rest of the Jews. For if you persist in keeping silent at this time like this, relief and deliverance will come to the Jews from some other place, while you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether it was just for such a time as this that you attained the royal position. When Esther said to re then Esther said to reply to Mordecai, Go and assemble all the Jews to be found in Shushan, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I, with my maids, will fast also. Then I will go to the king, though it is unlawful, and if I perish, I perish. 
Mordecai then left and did exactly as Esther had commanded him. In this week's Torah portion, we learn of Jethro, who comes to Israel, and as Shira had said in her drosh, because of the great things that God had done for Israel, Yitro converted and became a member of Israel. He is one of many people uh, to convert in the Torah, to include, of course, Abraham, uh, Rahab, Ruth, um, Obadiah the prophet was a convert, uh, Rabbi Akiva from the Talmud was a convert, Timothy from the, the, Brit- the New Testament letters was a convert. Many converts, many converts have, have come into, into the kingdom. And the sages said concerning Yitro that the Torah was not able to be given until Yitro came in. Why? Because he was the quintessential convert. He was, as it were, like the father of converts. Why? Because he was a, not just a pagan, but he had been a priest of the pagans. And not just a priest of one pagan religion, but Yitro was so zealous to find the truth that he explored every single idolatrous cult that existed at the time. And he was a priest in every one of those cults until he came to the one true God. So the next time, and, and by the way, he was celebrated. And the, the sages say that when Yitro came to convert, only then could the Torah be given because the Torah had to come partially in the merit of the quintessential convert. Which is why the Torah portion itself is named after him. You understand that it's one of, uh, of all the parashahs, it's one of the parashahs that's actually named after somebody. Pincus is named after Pincus. And then we have Yitro, who's named after Yitro. We have, Ye- we have a parasha here named after somebody. And who is he named after? He's named after a former pagan priest who explored all the religions, who went after every vanity, who went after every vanity, every, every nonsense. You know, people think that when they come up with some new train of thought, some new religious idea, some new concept, you know, the, the vanity and the arrogance of the human spirit is, I'm the only one who knows this. This is something new. And the devil is laughing. <laughs> I had people that believe the same type of cultish idiocy that you believe. Thousands of years ago, they've since perished. And you don't know about them, but I just took that idea and gave it to you and said, you're the special one. And so Yitro looked at all that nonsense. So the next time that somebody chastises you because you were a pagan and then you were a Catholic and then you were a Christian and then you were Pentecostal and now you've become Jew, just, t- just remind them of Yitro and say, I'm like Yitro. I've been around the block, but I came to the one true God. And by the way, the Torah came in his merit. What we see in the parasha Yitro is we, we have... A situation in, in which the Torah of Hashem is coming down and the people accept the Torah and they say, we will do and we will hear. 
which is the ultimate soul of a Jew. The ultimate soul of a Jew, the ultimate soul of somebody who really loves God doesn't need to be convinced to follow his commandments. If you're someone who says, well, I don't know, I, I really need to have more explanation before I start eating kosher. I really need to, I really need to understand why. Now, that's, that is a betrayal of a lack of love and a lack of amuna. Because the heart of amuna says to God, we will do and then we'll hear. We'll do and then you will, we'll accept the explanation while we're doing it. Why? Why? Because when I was wrapped up in chains and was all locked up in Mitzrayim in constriction, you saved me. You brought me out. And I did nothing to save myself. And so therefore, I stand before you as a freed slave, now your servant. And therefore, who am I to ask you, what are you talking about? You could have left me in the dungeon. And not only would I not have had the mitzvahs, I wouldn't have had life. But now I live, thanks to you. So therefore, tell me, what do you want me to do? Explain it to me if you want to. I don't even really care. That's a heart of faith. And see, I would submit to you based on that logic, based on what I just explained. If you're talking to God and you're saying, I want to follow your commandments, I think if I understand, my question is, are you, let, are you really free at all? Because the chains of Egypt could be the chains that you yourself are holding on your own arms and legs because you are your own God. A free man, a free man, uh, you know, uh, has, uh, like we said in, in the Aliyah, God wants unconditional surrender. A dead man has no conditions. If you, uh, what does a baby know? You know, the most foolish thing a parent could say is, I'm going to let him grow up and decide on his own. <laughs> that is the most idiotic thing anybody could ever say about a child. I'm going to let somebody who has no life experience, who has no education, who doesn't know anything about anything, who you have to tell, wawa, you know, they don't know what water is, you have to tell them this is water. They have no clue. And you're going to let them go up and make, uh, when it comes to the most important decision of their life, which is about life, you're going, to make that, you're going to help them make that decision all their own. I tell you, why don't you just push them out onto traffic? What we're learning about in Yitro is that we accept the Torah and we say to God, we will do and we will hear. That's faith. The lack of faith is the opposite. We will hear and we might do. That's a lack of faith. If you're saying that, you have yourself on the throne. And what we have here in the fourth chapter of the book of uh, Esther, it says that when, when the edict of Haman came down that everybody was going to die, suddenly everybody got a clue and they began to make teshuva. And it says here in the, in the notes uh, from the art scroll, this is a, a note to uh, verse 16, I believe it is, that the spirit of Israel was so greatly renewed 
that they accepted the Torah anew in the days of Ahasuerus. That's from the Talmud, Shabbos 88a. And God accepted their prayers. So the connection between Yitro and what we just read here in chapter 4 is that Yitro was the giving of the Torah and Purim is the reacceptance of the Torah. That's why Purim is such a holy festival. Because Purim is all about accepting the Torah. And let me, let me explain something else to you. Why this is such... Let me give you a correlation. Speaking of Thomas and his wife just came up here and did a beautiful bat mitzvah. There was another Thomas in the Gospels who said, when they said that Yeshua is alive, he said, I won't, I won't believe it. I won't believe it unless I can touch his wounds. And, you know, that's always a scary proposition when you, when you test God. So Yeshua shows up and says, Thomas, here you are. Touch. Touch, the, touch my side. Touch my hands. And he fell down on his, on his face and he, he, he said, truly you are the Mashiach. And he said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen. But there's going to come people who are going to believe and they haven't seen and they're going to be more blessed than you. So that's why Purim is considered on par with Yom Kippur and even to a higher level. Why? Because at, at Yom Kippur, we saw God and we pointed to him. We said, this is our God and we will worship him. At Purim, God was concealed and yet we said, we will worship him. So we were the ones who came after the Thomas and said that we will believe because we knew that we were in need of teshuva. In the, in the Megillah chapter 15, or excuse me, Megillah 15b, I should say, it's very interesting uh, writing here. And it's kind of a, an aside from the story of Esther. And it says, Rabbi Eliezer said in the name of Rabbi Hanina, in the future, the Holy One, blessed be He, will be a crown on the head of every righteous person. You know, we talk about, you've, you've probably heard the verse uh, quoted, we're going to cast our crowns at His feet, right? Um, the crown is God. It says here in the Talmud that the crown that we will wear will be the Holy One, blessed be He, which is why the priest had on his head, Kadosh le Hashem. The high priest was wearing the crown of God. So it says here, that's going to be our crown. As it says, in that day shall Hashem, master of legions, be a crown of beauty and a diadem of glory. What is the significance, the Talmud says, of the words for a crown of beauty and a diadem for glory? They teach that this reward is for those who do his will and those who await his glory. Those who do his will and those who await his glory. Let me ask you something. I said in, a, in an aliyah, or I might have been doing the conversion class, I forget which, but twice in the book of Revelation it says that the dragon is coming after those who follow the commandments of God, the Torah of God, and believe in Yeshua. They're waiting for the return of his glory. That's what the Talmud confirms that and says that's exactly who's going to be wearing the crown. Those who follow the Torah and, there's an and, 
wait for his glory. One might, it says one might have thought that this divine coronation is for anyone who does his will. The verse therefore states immediately to the remnant of his people to teach that this reward is only for one who makes himself like remnants. That, mean, that means he remains humble despite his reward. Humility is a prerequisite for salvation, and doing the will of God is a prerequisite. Why? You can say, well, is it the commandments that, that save you? Of course not, because we couldn't even do not even a, a, a fraction of the mitzvot that would be required to make us righteous. But if we're not doing the mitzvot, then we attest to the fact that we're not in the covenant. Some people sometimes will come and counsel with me and Rebetzin about their marriage. And they'll explain how, their, whether it's a husband or wife or whatever. Well, you know, my husband and I, or my wife and I, whatever the case, we don't speak. and We live in the same house, but we have no relationship. We haven't been physical in a number of years. And, and in fact, I have reason to believe that maybe... Maybe she or he or seeing somebody else and all this kind of stuff, you know. And there's no respect. There's no honor. There's blah, blah, blah. And the person is sitting in front of us and they're wringing their hands. I don't know if I should get a divorce or not. And we lean across a desk and say, you're already divorced. You see, because the fact that there's no covenant being kept is evident that there's no covenant and so either you have to reestablish a covenant that that's possible or proceed with a formality of something that took place long ago. You see, we have to, we have to get into reality check. We have to stop having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. God is my king. Do you follow his commandments? Well, no, but he's still my king. No, he's not. All of this goes back to Yosef, by the way. Mayam Loez brings down, as does the other commentators, that when it says at the end of chapter 3, it says that they, they sat down to eat and to drink, but the city of Shushan was bewildered, bewildered. It says, Providence decreed that just at the time that the news reached the Jews of Shushan, Haman and the king would be eating and drinking. Why? Because that's what the brothers did after they had thrown Joseph into the well. That when they, they and I want you to think about this. They, throw jo, they threw Joseph into a well and sold him with silver, sold him to slavery. They sold him. You understand that when they sold him to slavery, they sold him to death. And they sat down to eat and drink. And as a, as a punishment for that, we have the story of Purim. And when we betrayed Yeshua and we sold him for silver unto death, we all went home and sat down at our tables and had a Seder. And we ate and we drank. And so now we have to understand the cause and effect. It says here, Mordecai knew all that had happened, and Mordecai tore his clothing 
and put on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out in the middle of the city and cried out in a loud voice. Mayam Loez says, once that everything was done and sealed, Haman and his friends left the king in a jubilant mood. They saw Mordecai walking ahead of them. And Mordecai stopped a child and asked him, what was the verse that he had been studying in yeshiva that day? And the little boy said, we studied Proverbs 3.25, be not afraid of sudden terror or the destruction of the wicked that will come. He walked a little ways further and he stopped a second child. And he asked that little boy, what did you study in yeshiva today? He said, we studied Isaiah 8.10, make your plans, they will not succeed. Speak all you want, nothing will come of it, for God is with us. He walked on a little further, all this while Haman and his friends are falling behind. He stopped another little boy, Isaiah 46.4. There's three boys corresponding to the three days. He says, what did you study in Yeshiva today? He said, when you are old, I will be the same. And when you turn white, I will sustain you. I made you and I will care for you and I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Mordecai had already heard rumors of Haman's plot, but hearing these voices from the children, which offered a message of hope, he was hopeful and at ease. And so Haman approached Mordecai and said, what did those children say that made you so happy? And Mordecai replied, Basora, good news. So that's what it says right here. It says, good news. They told me that I have nothing to fear from the plans that you've just hatched. But Mordecai knew a secret that just knowing that, knowing that reality, there has to be something that draws down the power of God. It's not what we do what I'm about to say, it's not so much what we're doing that's the power, but it's the, it's the catalyst that draws that power. Just like the sages say that Teshuvah can tear up an evil decree. It says here, Mordecai knew that the situation was grave, but he also knew what had to be done. If the Jews would just repent, begging God for forgiveness, things would turn out right in the end. This is why Yeshua's message was, repent, for the kingdom of God is, is here. His message was not, hey, don't worry, do nothing, I'm here. Don't worry about a thing, everything's going to be, go about your business. Just, you know, put your faith in me, but otherwise, don't worry about it. I'm here, got it all under control. No, he walked around like Mordecai saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is here. In order for us to be a recipient of the Holy Torah, we have to be someone who purifies ourselves in, in preparation for it. It's God who saves us, but it's us who takes that initial step of preparation. Seeing that Haman, it writes, Ma'am Loez says, seeing that Haman and the king were eating and drinking when the decree was promulgated, Mordecai understood that this punishment was part of the, uh, the, the, the curse for selling Yosef. When Jacob heard about Yosef and he saw his cloak that had been dipped in blood, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. So Mordecai realized 
that in order to rectify this situation, he would have to emulate Jacob. So what did Mordecai do? In order to bring down the glory of God, in order to bring down the Yeshua of God, the salvation of God, the first thing he did is he said, what did Jacob do? He emulated Jacob. Then it says, there was also an important symbolism behind the use of ashes. Mordecai wanted to recall the merit of Abraham, who had allowed himself to be cast into a fiery furnace rather than worship Nimrod's idols. Abraham realized that without God's intervention, he would have been reduced to ashes. That's why he later referred to himself before God in Genesis 18.27 as, I am but dust and ashes. He wanted to emulate Abraham. Then it says, Mordecai also wanted to recall the merit of Yitzhak, the merit of Isaac. Since Isaac went willingly to be sacrificed at God's command, God considered it as if his ashes were still to this very day on the altar. And through these ashes, it let God remember the great sacrifice of Abraham and Isaac. So he wanted to be like Isaac. See, Mordecai knew a secret. That if we want to bring down the salvation, the Yeshua and the holiness of God, then we don't look to the nations. We don't look to ourselves. We look to the example of Abraham Isaac and Jacob. And we act like they acted. Why? Because they saw such great Yeshua, such great salvation. Moreover, to this point, Mordecai understood that in addition to acting like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he also understood that the people needed to act like Yitro. What do I mean by that? Interestingly, Mayam Loez says this, Mordecai stood up and addressed the people again. He said, Brothers, all the gates are closed other than the gate of tears. And he stands up and he makes it, he, he uses it, of all the examples that Mordecai could have given to the people. Keep in mind what we're talking about here. Being like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the coming, the, the, the coming down of the Torah, the acceptance of the Torah, and Yitro, the, the, the uh, quintessential convert who came, and in his merit the Torah came down. And what is the example that Mordecai uses to inspire the people to make teshuva? He says, take an example from Nineveh, where God had decreed that the city be destroyed. And when Yonah informed the king of this, he got up from his throne, removed his crown, and dressed himself in sackcloth and ashes. We learned that the king of Nineveh was none other than the Pharaoh of the Exodus. You see the connection? His person, he personally went through the city. Who went personally? Yonah? No. The king of Nineveh, Pharaoh. Pharaoh went personally through the city and announced a period of fasting and penitence. And God had mercy and annulled the evil decree. What annuls an evil decree? Teshuva. Teshuva annuls an evil decree. That is, my friends, what the lesson of this Torah portion is about. What the lesson of Esther is about is that we see that when it comes to a situation in which we find ourselves needing God's mercy, 
the answer is always teshuva. The answer is always rending our garments, putting on sackcloth and ashes, seeking God's face to come down and, and help us to understand. Teshuva is the key. In Esther 4, chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 4 and verse 5, Esther summons Hatak, one of the king's attendants, who had been appointed to stand before her, and she instructed him to go to Mordecai and investigate what was happening and for what reason. So, you know, when we're watching a, a Marvel movie like Captain America, And we're enjoying Captain America because he's awesome, you know, come on. We forget that in the background, the contemporaries of Captain America who exist in that fantasy movie are Iron Man, you know, the Mighty Hover, right? The Incredible Tommy, the Hulk, Spider-Man, they're all there. We're just, but we're watching a movie about Captain America. We might see a cameo of those guys here and there. And so what we don't understand sometimes is that when we're reading Scripture, there's mighty men and mighty women who are in the background, the, the Avengers that are there, and we don't know they're there. Who is Hatak? The sages, both in Israel and in Babylon, said that Hatak was none other than Daniel. That Daniel at that time had been already in the Persian Empire and had been already with Nebuchadnezzar, and, and uh, Darius, and now he was under Ahasuerus. But Ahasuerus knew that he was a Jew, so he demoted him from his high position, which is what his name means. His, me his name means, this, this uh, Persian name means cut down. And the sages say that in order to punish him, he made him an attendant of the queen. Little did he know that the queen was a Jewess. <laughs> and so he showed up at the kosher buffet and didn't even realize it. Because remember, he had been eating vegetables all this time, and now he gets to enjoy kosher meat because the queen was being served kosher meat. I'm just, that's, just a, that's just a side benefit. <laughs> so Daniel becomes the one who is part of this whole story. You see that? He's the Avenger cameo in the movie. And Esther says, this is from the Midrash Rabbah 8.4. And Esther asks a question. Esther is trying to figure out why, what's going on. My friends, if we want to look around the world and we want to say what's wrong, it's not because the Republicans are in power or the Democrats are in power. It's not because of this thing or that thing. You know, why the decrease in morality? Why the decrease in modesty? What, what's wrong? Why, why have public schools become what they are today? What, what, what is it about? Why do we have to lock our doors? Didn't you used to lock your doors? There was a day and age where you could, you could, you could forget almost anything in a restaurant or a plane or a bathroom or anywhere else, and it would be returned to you. 
There was a day and age where you would never have anybody even think about back-talking a police officer, not because they were worried about being shot, come on, but because they had respect and honor. What happened? The answer is because we've rejected the this. In the Midrash Rabbah 8.4, it says, Esther said to Hatak, Go and tell Mordecai, Never in the history of Israel have there come into such great trouble. Have the Jews perhaps rejected the one referred to as this? As in the verse, Exodus 15.2, This is my God and I will glorify him. Or have they perhaps rejected the tablets about which it is written? Moses turned and descended from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony. They were inscribed on this side and the other. Exodus 32, 15. See, what, what she understood was is that if, if something so tragic has happened, if we completely lost ourselves, it's because we forgot what the this was. We've either rejected God or we've rejected his commandments. In either case, it's still this. We forgot this. We forgot this. And so Esther understood what the this was all about, and she wanted to bring the people back, which is why Ma'am Loez refers to her as one who is like Moses. It says here, if you do this, the Jews will truly be called your people. You will become very much like Moses, Mordecai says to her, who is called the shepherd of Israel because he risked his life for them. What Esther did and what, Mo, what Mordecai did was that he, he wanted to bring the people back to Torah observance. And when she did that and when he did that, they became like a Moshe to the people. Ma'am Luez also says that there's a, a, a quote by Ibn Ezra. This is just more of an aside than anything. That when Haman saw Hatak going back and forth, that he discovered that there might have been a plot to over, overcome him. So he had Hatak, Daniel, murdered. And it says, Ibn Ezra said, quoted by Mayan Loez, Daniel's death at Haman's hand was an atonement for Israel. Whenever a great saint dies and is properly mourned, God forgives his people. That's what it says here. Just to wrap it up real quick, because we have so much going on this afternoon, but this chapter, again, is a call to all of us to return, to turn the tide back. It says here in verse 17, Mordecai left and did all that Esther had instructed. Esther called a fast. So they fasted. By the way, the fast was for three days. And... The three-day period was going to be the 14th, 15th, and 16th of Nisan during Pesach. You know, yes, the crucifixion time. And Mordecai's like, look, we can't do that. You've got to love Mordecai because he is halacha. Zelokosher. And she said, you've got to fast. 
for three days. And Mordecai sent a message to her saying, but among these days is the first days of Pesach on which fasting is not allowed. And she said to him, sage of Israel, that's what it says right here, sage of Israel, what is the point of having a Passover if there's no Jews to celebrate it? Mordecai thereupon accepted Esther's argument and acknowledged the veracity of her words. And so Mordecai went and did everything that, that Esther commanded him. That is, that he spent the entire three days of the festival, the first three days of the festival, fasting. Yeshua said, when he's asked, how come your disciples aren't fasting? And he said, they're going to fast. They're going to fast when the bridegroom is taken from them. Don't you know they fasted during those three days, those first three days of Pesach, when they saw, where is our Lord? Mordecai assembled all the Jews in Shushan. Included among them were 12,000 Kohanim. Each one of those Kohens, those priests, took a shofar in one hand and a Torah scroll in the other. The shofar in the right hand, the Torah scroll in the left hand, to be precise. And they wept and they prayed, and this is what they prayed. Lord of the universe, if you gave us a Torah it was so that we could learn to keep it. If your people are annihilated, who will keep your Torah? Oh, don't you hear the heart of God here? You've got people that want to kill us either physically or spiritually. And people that want to kill us physically, that's obvious. They want to kill us and get rid of us. People that want to kill us spiritually want to make us not Torah observant. Eat wherever you want. Wear wherever you want. Don't do this. Don't do that. Follow the pagans. And the end result is, if that happens, who will keep your Torah, which is eternal? And he says, who will utter your name? Even the sun and the moon will cease to shine if that happens. Why? Because the sun and the moon get their light from the Torah. The world exists only because God's Torah is being followed, if not but by a remnant. The Cohen priests then threw themselves on their faces and cried out, Answer us, O God, answer us. Let your people know that you have not abandoned your promise not to destroy us. They sounded the shofars, and the people joined their prayers, and their weeping was so great, it seemed as if it would pierce the very hearts of heaven. In the Midrash Rabbah, we have Mordecai's prayer and we have Esther's prayer. And we're going to conclude with this. And Mordecai prayed to Hashem and said, If it is revealed and known before your throne of glory, O master of the worlds, that it is not out of haughtiness or a heart of arrogance that I acted as I did when I did not bow to Haman. Rather, it is out of fear for you that I did not do this, not bowing to him, because I feared your presence and thus wish not to bow or bestow your honor upon a man of mere flesh and blood. And I did not want to bow down to anyone but you. For who am I not to bow to Haman out of mere vanity, being that bowing to him would have been advantageous for the sake of the salvation of your nation, Israel? I would have willingly licked the shoe of his foot in order to save the Jews from his jealous rage. And now, our God, please save us from his hand. 
And may he himself fall into the pit that he has dug for us. And may he himself be ensnared in the net, which he has laid out and concealed for trapping the feet of your pious ones. And let the investigator know that you have not forgotten the promise that you promised us in the Holy Torah. But despite all this, while they will be in the land of their enemies, I will not have revolted my, been revolted by them, nor will I have rejected them to obliterate them, to annul my covenant with them, for I am Hashem, their God. And it says that Esther also prayed, and this is what she prayed. It says she removed her royal garments and her ornaments, and she donned sackcloth, and she disheveled her hair, and on her head she filled with dust and ashes. And she afflicted herself with fasting, and she fell on her face before Adonai. And she prayed, saying, Adonai, God of Israel, you have reigned since earliest times, and you created the world. Please help your maidservant, for I am left as an orphan without father or mother. And I am comparable to a poor woman who begs from house to house. So too I beg for your mercy from window to window in the house of Ahasuerus. And now, God, please grant success to this poor maidservant of yours and save the sheep of your pasture from the enemies who have risen up against us. For there is no obstacle before you to prevent you from saving, whether through the hand of many or from the hand of the few. Now you, father of orphans, please stand to the right of this orphan who has put her trust in your kindness. And allow me to find favor before this man, Ahasuerus, for I am afraid of him, and lower him before me, for you lower the haughty. Father, may it be your will that you bring about a Yeshua for all of us, for those who need a Yeshua in our physical bodies, for those who need a Yeshua in our souls, for those of us who need a Yeshua in our families, for those of us who need a Yeshua in our emotions. Bring a Yeshua for each and every one of us. To all who hear my voice at this very instant, whether here in person, who are watching live, to all those who will hear in the future, may we humble ourselves, Almighty God, and may we be found before you like an orphan with neither father nor mother, but with you standing by our side. And so let it be like it was at, this, at the great sea, that when we stood there alone, you appeared with us, and the sea saw and fled before you, and we walked across on dry ground. May our Yeshua come from you, O God, and may our tears open the gates of your heavens. What do we know, O God? What do we know?
Let us know. 